if someone wants to dive and mosh for every band at a fest, fuck yeah, you're a hero. <laughs> so I think we should petition to get Fubu Man to scope exposure, five year anniversary. I'll start a GoFundMe. I, I got the first $20 on it. <laughs> Strife. Strife. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. This is another episode of the Scoped Exposure Podcast. We are blessed on this day to be welcomed by the man, the myth, the legend, Andrew Klein of Strife, Berthold City, War Records, arguably maybe too many things, but you know, he's one of those people that has his hands in many, many honeypots. Um, Andrew, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I've been giving a little bit of context as to why I'm bringing on uh, specific guests for the podcast. And, you know, we've got to connect through some, some work things. Um, and I've gotten to hang out with you a little bit and just hear a little bit more about you know your story and and what you're up to and you know the the day of recording this is we announced the the scope five year like i think it was like half an hour ago of like sitting in my car posting then i'm like ripping all the way to get here for this interview so obviously we're going to be chatting about that um your current band berthold city just put out a new record um when words are not enough um through war records as well so you know there's a lot of things to talk about i want it to be chill um but yeah i'm really excited for this uh for this interview yeah and uh, i'm excited to be here and congrats on the five-year anniversary you know that's gonna be uh that's gonna be great yeah i'm very much looking forward to it um it it, it was funny because i think i'm just bad at like not giving myself breathing room at times. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just drop this huge announcement and then I'll just jump right into this podcast and it will be totally fine. Um, so I'm like, if if anything, it's maybe good to have my phone, like not looking at my phone for the next hour and then checking it. Yeah, you got people asking you questions. Yeah, people be like, like me, actually, crazy. You know, <laughs> right, right before I was posting, I was like, oh, are tickets available? Because I wasn't sure. So like, you know, I wanted to post that and then I added to our link tree. So people could buy tickets right away and, yeah. you know, not have to search around the internet for them. Ton so. Tons of moving parts there with like, yeah. you know, um, and, and, and this will be something that maybe, uh, Jess, uh, uh, cause we have our own podcast series as well, where we can talk about the lineup and how it came to be. But it was like, I felt bad cause I wasn't sending the poster out to everyone like with, you know, a day's notice. Cause we were like, Oh, someone might, be able to jump on now we're trying to do that and then i'm like setting it first thing in the morning but um you know i think with most th most things in hardcore it's like coming down to the 11th hour to to make it yeah. happen and uh yeah so before we uh just get off super off the rails with the music chats um it's a tradition here andrew to do a bev check before we get into the episode so tell me what you're going to be sipping on uh beverage wise um during the interview classic filtered water yeah <laughs> and uh i i think you ran to the fridge as well and and snagged some i did uh, i i did if you want the corporate sponsorship i do have uh a key lime lacroix mm -hmm. as backup if i'm pronouncing it right i, I know there's a lacroix <laughs> yeah yeah I, I like lacroix yeah 
Um, key lime, it tastes like um, somebody dissolved lime Skittles um, into carbonated water. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Skittles fan and, you know, trying to lay off some sugar, this might be the drink for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been really into um, sparkling water for a while. And then, I don't know, one day I just woke up and I'm like, you know what? I'm not into it anymore. I'm just going to go back to just drinking water. Like, literally for years, all I drank was water. Like, no sodas, nothing. It's like water, water, water. And then I started getting into sparkling water. Now I'm back to just water. Yeah. It, like, I literally was at a show yesterday where people were like, where did your, like, beverage obsession come from? And honestly, like, because for me, I grew up not drinking like soda or root beer or even like iced tea like i was only like um i think the three beverages i would drink would be like water milk and like orange juice and that was it and it was just like more of like me not liking the um like the fizziness just like the syrupy nature and then something happened where i think it was really through sparkling water where it's like okay i can get behind this um and the water I yeah, like just doing the Lacroix stuff just opened the world for it, and now yeah. I just uh, bev. I, I, I think not too, like you know being a band and touring Europe. It's like you go to a restaurant and you get sparkling water, so you kind of um, get a taste to it. Um, the first time Strife played uh, Budapest in Hungary, um, we go to the venue and you know you want stage water, and they didn't have flat water for the stage that all, all you could get is sparkling water mm. and warm. So warm, warm sparkling, sparkling water. water <laughs> yeah. does not quench your, your thirst. No. Uh, sometimes when you're sweating, you want to put some water in your face, it'll burn. Uh, <laughs> so it, it was not the, it was not the best experience, but that's all like, like you couldn't go to the store and buy a bottle of flat water that like didn't exist. Weird. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you, that was, you- that was, that was kind of interesting. Um, but so you whatever. just turn on the 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 tap at like your your hostel or hotel in Hungary, and it's like sparkling water coming out of yeah, it. Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm sure it's flat. Maybe they don't want you to drink it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for some reason it decided to connect to my AirPods again. Oh, mid mid conversation. Yeah, it's like oh. You're now connected. I was like, uh, I didn't even open these things. Yeah. All right. I shut off the Bluetooth. We're, we're good. Okay. But, uh, but yeah. And then, um, you know, since you are a beverage fan, I, I think I told you, but War Records did put out the official Liquid Death theme song, Murder Your Thirst, by my friends in Ways Away. Mm. Uh, we did a cut and a picture disc. Um, so that's kind of cool. I see your Liquid Death in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, I was and- very jealous when... Um- uh, a, a couple of weeks ago when you're sending me all these photos of all your flavored stuff. And the last time I talked with sticks, he was like, yeah, there's not really any plans with flavored liquid death in Canada. I'm like, we'll try to smuggle some over for the, uh, for the show. <laughs> yeah. We, we could do just a check it. bag of just liquid death. Yeah, they might, uh, might be able to get him to, to hook up the backstage. You never know. Yeah. I'll, I'll make some calls. Okay. I'll make, I'll make some calls. See what I can do. I'm not, I'm not like, it, it you know i'm not super down with those guys but i i, I have friends that have friends might be able to make something happen for yeah. you five year anniversary maybe but real quick before we move on from the beverages please if you want to know a probably my top soda of all time i'm um, all ears 
I love ginger beer, spicy ginger beer, best. Bundaberg. Bundaberg, um, okay. Bundaberg ginger beer from Australia, made with cane sugar. Best ginger beer you can get. Top soda of all time. And they have other, uh, they make like a root beer. They make like all different flavors of, of sodas. And so if I do drink a soda, which is very rare, that would be it. Interesting. All right. Well, we, we do have some Australian listeners. So if they're drinking one of those right now, get it. Yeah. You could find it. Um, you can find it here now. Like, um, I found it in Australia Mm. and then for years you couldn't get it here. And then there was, there's a store in Highland park called Galco's, which I hope you're familiar with. Uh, Galco's. Galco's. Okay. It's, it's, um, it's a supermarket that only carries sodas. Oh, so if you're a beverage guy, they carry like original formula Mountain Dew that's imported from the first, you know, that's from the first factory that made Mountain Dew or, or like whatever. Wow. They carry okay. I'm learning lots. I'm learning lots. Eight minutes in on this podcast. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's a famous show in LA, uh, Schulhauser video. I think it's called video log. And he goes around to historic places in LA. And that's actually how I found out about Galco's originally. So at a time, that was the only place you could buy Bundaberg. Now, gotcha. I think maybe, I don't know, like like a Whole Foods will have it or whatever, mm-hmm. it's a, a little more uh, widely. Yeah, like I think the, you know, to all the the people that, that, that strive to be a, a Bev aficionado, I think it's just like you start small. So you start with like, you know, going to your um, local grocery stores and getting like the LaCroix, like start there. I don't think there's any shame in that. But then you find like the local spots that will have like the super obscure energy drinks, the super obscure, like yerba mate kind of things. Um, and then you just, it's, it's a huge rabbit hole. I think it's kind of the same for hardcore. It's like you listen to like a big band and then you just, it's, you know, Alice in Wonderland. But yeah, look up Galco's and next time you make a trip to LA, which are, are you coming? I think yes. Um, yes. There's uh, as long as there's one in the Costa Mesa area, we should be no, good in there. There's not. Oh, there's, there's only not. one, and it's in Highland Park. So okay. maybe I need to make a, a very expensive Uber, Uber just to get there. <laughs> that then you got to make you got to make the trek. Maybe maybe it needs to go at like fly in LAX and then Galco's and then the rest of the way. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's it's it was still daunting i think when i was there last and uh just before we got to link up and i was like you know just not understanding the vastness of la and the different sectors and all that because like here it's like oh yeah drive 30 minutes across town it's like 30 minutes might get you like only you know this this small uh, distance it, it might get you five miles and rush <laughs> out yeah i used to have a job that was eight miles from my house and it could take me 45 minutes to an hour to get there, eight mm. miles, you know, Santa Monica, 12 miles from my house could take 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the time of day. So you're right. like, Oh, you want to meet up in Santa Monica? I'm like, no, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. it's like five o'clock. That, that's not going to happen. It's going to be, you know, an hour each way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, you, you really got to like time your, your drives. Right. If you don't want um, you know, we're getting a little out of order as far as the questions that I, I would ask normally. Um, but like, what are 
and maybe this is a dumb question, but like, are there like certain blackout like periods where it's like, I do not want to be on the highway at, at these times? Or is it like you play it day, day by day? Oh, no. I mean, I would say five to seven p.m. You don't want to be on the freeway. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you have to, you have to. But that's like rush hour. Right. Um, in the in the morning, it's kind of like the same thing. I think I would say maybe like eight to ten. Um, again, it's like the rush hour. And, and so like you're kind of cool. If you're going short distances, you're probably better off on the city streets um and uh yeah it's kind of like most people that live in southern california they know just like it you know unless you have to you're gonna stay off the yeah the free- totally um you know as as far as beverage i realized as soon as i i was like i was feeling partial i like got into it but i haven't introed this uh yet so um for for me bev check wise um I'm not sure how how familiar with the show you are, Andrew, but we have a couple of beverage sponsors, actually. So, and, you know, I felt like this was a good link with, like, the Scope 5 year being announced. So, uh, New Level Brewing uh, does some craft sodas as well. So, they're a sponsor for the Scope 5 year, and I'm drinking their Pineapple Punch. So, you know, if you're into that, like, pineapple juice and having a little bit of that, I I definitely need some some sugar. So, that's what I'm going to be drinking for the episode. Um if if you're into the the sodas, you know, there, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of those for you to get your hands on during that weekend. There you go. I'll, I'll test it out. I, I I'm more of a uh, coffee guy, and if you caught me earlier, I would have been that would have been my web uh, check for sure. Got you. All right. Well, Andrew, cheers to you, my friend. Really excited cheers. to do this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> with with the with the the when you do the uh, the filtered water, do you have like a certain go-to filter or are you just like, you know, I've, I've had this the whole time or like, have you done like the ABC testing? Nah, nah, I'm not like that nerdy about it. Uh-oh. Um, but yeah, I have a, like a Brita, a Brita filter that goes in my fridge and then I have a filter that on my tap mm-hmm. as well. So, um, yeah, I find it makes obviously filters out a bunch of crap, makes the water taste a little better. Um, so yeah. I, I'm sure a lot of people are like, "Why is Spencer so like asking what fil- like what filter game Andrew is on?" It's like I I care about these things as like a beverage person. So yeah, all no, that Brit, really Brit is like the uh, I would say kind of like the standard um, filter, it's like the, the name brand, right? <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's so uh, Andrew. Any new guests that I have here on the show? I know that you've done a, a multitude of podcasts yourself. Um, but any new guests that I have on here, I just like to get a little bit of context about how my guests got into heavier music or got into hardcore. And um, I, I do that in a way to kind of like show that everyone's got their own unique path, but there is a lot of similarities and crossovers there, you know, despite if someone got into hardcore in the 80s or is getting into hardcore in 2022. So take us back in time and like, tell me the first time that you heard hardcore and how that started to get implemented into your life. And again, you've done so many interviews. So if you want to do like the elevator pitch um, version or the super in-depth version, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, I mean, I, I, I heard punk and hardcore um, as a, as a, as a young kid. Um, We had a friend in Santa Barbara um, who was a few years older than me and uh, Santa Barbara had a college radio station. So he would always tape the college radio so um 
and they would have a punk show, right? So my my first, the first punk song that I remember hearing um, was on a tape that he played and it was a band called Bad Posture and they had a song called uh, Goddamn Motherfucking Son of a Bitch. <laughs> and um, it was on one of the BYO comps and I heard it, I, I don't know, I'm, I could have been eight years old or something. And to us, it was just like hilarious. Like we didn't know what it was, but the guy screaming, goddamn motherfucking son of a bitch over and over. Uh, it's it's funny. So that's like the first punk song I remember hearing. And, you know, it didn't turn me into a punker by any means. But I was like, I that that's the first song I ever recall hearing. I, I think my main uh, introduction to, to punk and hardcore, like most people my age was through skateboarding. Like um, once I started skating, which was probably like sixth grade, um, you get Thrasher magazine, right? And then they did a lot of great coverage of, of punk and hardcore bands and scene reports. And so you kind of get exposed that way. Um, and then, uh, you know, like one of my first music purchases um, was uh, corrosion of conformity, corrosion of conformity, uh, technocracy, um, and then you know from there, once you kind of identify the bands, then you would go to the your local store and kind of like see what was punk, and and so like you know the only thing that you could find. I lived in a suburb outside of uh, outside of LA, we're about thirty minutes north of LA, um, and so like you'd get at the time we'd go to stores like music plus and warehouse, which no longer exist, but you would go and they would, they would have some punk and some hardcore, but of course it'd be the big name stuff, like stuff that had good distribution. Uh, you can get all the SST stuff, the discord stuff. Um, you know, it's easy to find a band like minor threat or, uh, DRI, even descendants, black flag, like all of that stuff was pretty readily available. So that was some of the first stuff that I got into. And then getting going into uh, junior high school, um, we kind of had like a, like a little skate crew, right? We'd all skate to school and we'd trade tapes. And so kind of like a lot of music I was getting was from my friend's uh, older brother. And so he would tape stuff from his older brother. And we really got into, like I said, Descendants was one. And, and then even more obscure, you know, not obscure, but smaller bands. Like we got really into Reagan Youth and The Freeze. Um, uh, obviously, everyone loves Suicidal, which, you know, they were on Caroline. That was pretty readily available. We got really into Excel, who were also on Caroline and, and Big and Thrasher. You know, they had full page ads and Thrasher. Um, Circle Jerks, like, you know, all of that. You know, I'd say a little more punk. Uh, a little more crossover. DRI was huge for us. Uh, and then, um, you know, I had, uh, my parents got divorced and I had a neighbor who lived next door um, to my dad. And he was probably maybe at least 10 years older than me. Uh, but he had a giant record collection, like thousands of records. So he found out I was into punk and he was like, oh, here, come over. You could flip through my records and borrow records. So and he had everything like first pressings, so negative approach, neck rows, FUs, whatever, minor threat, like agnostic front. So I would go over there, um, you know, 
I'd go over there. I'd pick out like five records at a time, take them home, uh, dub them on cassette, bring them back, swap out. It was kind of like a music library, right? So, and, and he had everything. Like he had a lot of like two-tone ska. He was really into like the specials, right? Or um, he had jazz records. Um, he, he had a lot of punk stuff. And then he had a lot of hardcore. So like, you know, I think there was a time where it's like, I borrowed like agnostic front, negative approach. And, 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 and then you could kind of see it's a little different, you know, it's a little heavier. And, and then from there, I got more into like going into high school, more into like the New York bands. Um, I got really into like youth of today, sick of it all, um, gorilla biscuits and, and, and a lot of those bands were, um, were still playing. So like, um, I started going to shows in ninth grade. I was like 14 years old. Um, I just learned about straight edge. Um, my first show was, um, was the circle jerks at the country club. Um, and I had one friend at, at, in my high school that was into hardcore and, and he, so he was a year older than me. He had already gone to shows. Uh, he was friends with some people in bands. Uh, so, and he had an older brother and older sister that could take us to shows. So the country club was in Reseda. It was about, I don't know, 20 minute drive for us, 30 minute at the most drive from us. So that what, but it was a big place, you right. know, it held 800, a thousand people, but you could go there and we were lucky enough to see bands like Instead and Gorilla Biscuits and Judge and Infest and Chain of Strength. Like you would have these big weekend shows um, where there'd be a, a thousand kids sold out, you know, and, and we'd see punks that we, we'd see uh, Circle Jerks, MDC, Neurosis, uh, whatever you'd, you'd go to any show um, or crossover stuff. We would see Excel um, or you would see these straight edge hardcore bands and, and the weekend shows would be a thousand people. And then they would have these Monday night shows where it'd be like 80 people, you know, and they weren't as well promoted like, Oh, it's a Monday night. But you know, those Monday night shows, like I saw Infest on a Monday night, you know, for 80 people or chain of strength on a Monday night without spoken for 80 people. And, um, you know, it, it, it was cool. And then from there, you know, we, st I started strife when I was still, uh, when I was in like ninth grade. So it's like, uh, I start, I met Sid, our drummer, we're going to shows. We met Rick in line at the country club for like a bad religion show. Um, he was already in a band and, but he, he was straight edge and his band wasn't. He's like, Oh, you guys are straight edge. Well, I am too. He was from like a, a town over. And so like we, started building like a little crew that would go to shows. Um, Rick was older than us. He could drive, which opened up a lot of opportunities to go further than Reseda. Right. So like we started country club was easy, but then there's like the next place that did shows like I, in the nineties, there wasn't really hardcore shows in Hollywood. So like if you wanted to see punk and hardcore shows, you're driving to Riverside, which from thousand Oaks, you know, that's like a 150 miles. It could be a three hour drive. Right. And so, you know, we're little kids sitting in traffic on a Friday night, driving to Spanky's cafe to see whoever, you know, every band played there. Um, 
or Santa Barbara, which was closer uh, opposite direction, but you know, like an hour North and you're seeing a different scene of bands. Cause the Santa Barbara scene at that time was, uh, you know, it's like the red barn or the Anaconda. And it was a little more like PC or emo, but we're seeing great bands, um, born against or still life who are our friends. We'd see them all the time or downcast who are awesome. Like, you know, so we, we were into everything. We were into the straight edge, hardcore bands. We were into the PC bands. We were into the emo bands. We were into the, you know, crossover type bands. Um, at that time, if you were into heavy music, it wasn't like you were just like, oh, I'm only into this. You're like, no, I, I like this. I also like this, hmm. you know, and okay. and you got every show, you know? Yeah. And it was very cool because you could see a band like Strife playing with Downcast, Struggle and Still Life, and it made sense. Or you could see Strife playing with Lifetime and Mouthpiece, and of course it makes sense. Uh, or, or, you know, later on we would, play with metal bands like you know what i mean yeah. and and that's kind of the way our band grew and kind of the way our scene grew mm -hmm. you know yeah no there's so much to unpack there but i think just to go off exactly how you were kind of ending it's it's really cool to hear that like quote-unquote mixed bill shows aren't like a 20 like uh, a 2000s idea there's there's that has always been in the mix and maybe it's just been the the idea of like bands from multiple subgenres because like the spider web has gone has grown so much it's still yeah. you know you can have a band like terror um doing a collaboration with the singer of cannibal corpse and it's embraced versus like you know the scene is only this big and it's like oh, this band's youth crew and then this band's more like melodic, but they can still play together and that's oh. embraced as a as a, as a mixed bill thing. I think it's just, it's grown and then people have been more open to really give something on the total opposite side of the coin uh, the same love and attention. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I've said these examples before, but these are like real life examples. Like, okay, we, we did... We played Ventura um, with Pennywise. Was, mm. Pennywise is Ventura Fairgrounds is a huge show. It was um, Ventura Fairgrounds is Pennywise, Joy Killer, and Strife. We played, and I heard on a podcast, Todd Jones was in that crowd. He's from Ventura. And Strife was like, he went to see Pennywise. Mm. Strife was the first hardcore band he saw. You know what I mean? Like, unintentional. And it's like, to see somebody, you know, he's probably 14, 15 years old. And to see that effect, I'm not saying he got into hardcore because of us, but that was his first exposure. And then he goes on from carry on to terror to nails and every band in between. And he's, you know, a hardcore staple for the last 20 years. Right. Um, that's why you play these mixed bills mm. to grab out, you know, one kid, two kids, three kids. Uh, another example was like, um, we played uh, an awesome show in San Bernardino and it was Descendants, Guttermouth, Handsome, and Strife. Um, Big Brian from Zobaba was in the crowd, probably to see Descendants or Guttermouth. See Strife goes on to start Zobaba, right? You know what I mean? Like, right. that's why you play these shows. And that's how, that's the only way 
a scene's going to grow. Like we, we, and, and that was like really a huge part of Strife's success was like, we would tour with bands like Voodoo Glow Skulls. Like that sounds weird, but those guys were all into hardcore. They had a, they had a venue, a record store and a venue. They would do shows like Strife played. They would, they would come to see us. Sick all played. They would come to see us. So like to us, it was like, Oh, these are our homies, Eddie. Voodoo Glow Skulls. Cool. We're going to play. And it's like, we won some of their fans. They won some of our fans. We'd play with, you know, we played shows with dance hall crashers and aquabats. Like, you know, we played with aquabats. Travis Barker was still playing with them. Like, mm. you know, and, and yeah, it's weird, you know, but, but in our, in our eyes, it's just like, that's cool. If we can win some kids over, we're, we're going to do that. And, you know, we did, we did a tour with incubus. Um, we did, you know, we did a, a huge one for us. We did a European tour with Sepultura on the, on the roots tour. Right. Mm-hmm. And I still have kids to this day that come to our shows in Europe. They're like first hardcore band I ever saw was strife opening for Sepultura. And now I'm a hardcore kid and, you know, been going to shows for, you know, 25 years right. because of that. Right. Yeah. So it, 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 it's super important to uh, reach out side of your audience you know if you if you're trying to grow as a band it's like it's like you can't just play to the same hundred kids that are going to see you because you know what those hundred kids they're going to get into something else (laughs) and then what like you need to constantly be bringing new kids into the hardcore scene and the way you're going to win that over uh win them over is by playing with in front of 100 people that have no idea who your band is and fucking doing it with so much passion and conviction that that you're like they can't deny it Mm -hmm. you know and hopefully they become a fan you know totally and yeah like i think um you know a a tour that's coming up uh in the next few months here uh it's uh tsunami and no pressure uh are doing a little quick run in in the uk and i'm like that is such a great pairing because you get all the kids that maybe had found out about tsunami through like the internet or like different memes. And then you have people that like adore Parker and the story so far. And it's like those worlds coming together will have uh incalculable like spillover on, on either side. And I think and, it's, but, but, but if you think about it, like take away Parker, no pressure is a hardcore man. Like it's regular. I, I've, you know? I've been saying the same thing. I'm like, yeah, people are like, Oh but, man, I love pop punk. I love no pressure. I'm like, no pressure is a hardcore band. I, I will die on that hill for sure. But, but also, you know, I saw No Pressure's, uh, whatever, first show in the L.A. area. They played a place called The Midnight Hour. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it's to me, they're not a band I'm going to put on and listen to their records. It's, it's cool. Like, it's, it's, they're, they're a good band. It's just not a style that I'm that into. But I was like, you know, I'm friends with the guys from Regulate. I love Midnight Hour. They're the homies. Like, I was like, yo, I'm going to go check out the show. Their show was like the coolest, the, the live response and reaction was everything that I wish every hardcore show would be. Right. And it's not, you know, it was stage dives and sing-alongs and it was, it was awesome. And I wish like, that's the reaction I wish would happen at every hardcore show, but it doesn't because, you know, you, you get the people karate kicking in the pit and you have a big open hole and, and, and you know, it's just not the right vibe. Mm-hmm. And, and actually tsunami surprisingly, I saw them at the God's hate uh, record release and they also at the midnight uh, hour. 
Yep. Yep. And for as heavy of a band as they are, they did have a different response than like God's hate. They had kids up front singing along and it was, uh, it was cool. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's a great pairing and I think it's going to be huge for both bands. Totally. Um, so jumping back a little bit, you were saying like, yeah, like Strife did a, a number of different things with bands that were like, uh, would rate like not raise eyebrows in a, um, in a, oh, I don't know about that. More of like a, oh, like I, I would never have expected that. Um, yeah. Was there any, was there any like unlikely pairings like that, that either like people tried to give you grief over like a standout oh. specific one for you? People would give us grief about anything. So it it didn't matter. Like it, it it didn't matter. You do one thing that's a little out of the box. Someone's talking shit about it. You know what I mean? So at at the end of the day, you know, we, as a band, we did what we wanted to do Mm -hmm. and didn't, we didn't give a fuck what anybody was going to say. You know, it's like people would be mad if you had a guarantee. People would be mad if you had a trailer for your equipment. People would be mad. Like, like we had people, like trying to boycott some of the shows on the tour where we filmed that video. Like they oh, thought it was right, corporate right, yeah. that we were filming a video and they'd be passing out flyers about it. You know, it's just like, like boycott strife flyers. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I don't even know what they thought it was. I don't know what they thought it was. Right. Uh, like, but I guess like the MTV vacation of the hardcore scene. I don't know. Um, but I remember seeing that um, at one of the shows. Like, you know, I mean, pe- people will get mad about anything. So, yeah. So, you know, if you don't like that we're playing with um, with Voodoo Glow Skulls, don't go to the show. Because, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll be back with, you know, with Mean Season and, and whatever. You know, sure. I mean, you yeah, go yeah. to that show if that's more your more your thing, right? Like, we played a lot. So, it's just like... For us, it was it was more fun to do things that were a little out of the box. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we always supported our friends. So it didn't matter. You are our friend. We're going to put your band on the show. And kids will learn to like it or they won't. But we're not going to take shit because, you know, you don't like this band we're playing with. It makes no difference. Like, like Incubus, we did a a little California run with them and, and they're from the town over and, you know, they were friends of ours and super supportive. Like, you know, the the drummer Jose wore a fucking, he had a strife shirt and a drum catalog or something. You know what I mean? Like, so it it was, it, it wasn't that strange for us to play. They were like, Oh, we like your band and we like their band. Let's do something. And, you know, it worked, you know, Mm. You know, I mean, they're huge. They're totally different band now um, and huge. But at, at the time, like, I don't think it was strange. You know, we hardcore kids were totally used to seeing a band like Far, who were A, label mates with Incubus, B, not too far off music wise. So why why is it weird for us to play with Incubus? You know what I mean? Like, totally. yeah, yeah. To me, it just just makes sense. And again, they were our friends. So why wouldn't we play with our friends? Right. You know? Yeah. So you were mentioning uh, a little bit earlier, as far as like, 
like doing these mixed bill things like you never know who might be in the room that turns into a hardcore kid that ends up being like a huge presence years later and you know that's that's anything from like some of the examples that you had mentioned but i think like i'm you know i i think that i've definitely established a lot within like my own scene and like different things and but i do remember like flashback to like the very first time i saw um means doing their last uh Canadian tour and being in the room just like mesmerized by the energy and people like climbing on top of one another like that was my first like there I, I had gone to a couple hardcore shows before but I've talked about it on the podcast but that was like that was the moment I was like this is the shit that I want to do um as yeah. much as I can so when it came like when you're on the other side of the coin when you like you know, you just do a lot of stuff, you play in a lot of bands, and then you like just by association of those things, you become someone that's looked up to someone that people reference of like, oh, like, Andrew's a real one. He's been around forever. He's doing these bands, war records, all that. Like, how is <laughs> like, was that something that you kind of like set out to be like that level of influence? Or was that more of like, Oh, I'm just in this position now and I'm going to carry myself this way. Like did you anticipate getting to the level yeah. through when strife, strife started, and other shit? you know, strife started we just wanted to play a show. Right. And then once we played a show, it's like, "Oh cool, we, we want to record a demo." Or you know, it wasn't like, "Oh, we're going to take over the world." Like <laughs> it wasn't we we never thought we would tour Europe or tour Japan or tour South America or be a band 30 years later like no, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we just loved hardcore. We wanted to be a part. Uh, we did that by starting bands, making zines, putting on shows, right? Like, and then from there, it's like you play music, you know, if you love it, you're going to start other bands. So it's like start other bands or, you know, I think anyone who's into music, you know, for me, I always wanted to start a record label. Like I had an idea of doing a, a label in in the early 2000s and it just never never uh panned out but you know we were working on signing band like we had ideas of re releases and and label names and whatever and and then i think um right now with the internet everything is so much easier it's easier to ship orders like everything comes to my computer i can print it out here i can pack it I can drop it off it's not like I'm getting a check in the mail and I got a count. For, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm having I, I, flashbacks to when uh, Jordan uh, Cooper was on the podcast talking early rev days and just like, here's this check and I have to do this. It's like, you know, like, the, the I, fact I that we could put up a, a fest lineup and then we are having orders just coming in now is it's totally it's the, ga the game is totally different from from that. Yeah. Sure. So I, I, I think I did it at the right time. But, it, you know, it, it's funny. It's like. Uh, I, I've done a lot for hardcore and I do it because I love it. You know, I do the label because. I want to support bands that I think are cool mm -hmm. and, you know, I want to use my years of experience to help these bands and, and shine a light on 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 a band that I think has potential to do something right so it's like it's my way of giving back uh, it's not i don't do it for like scene cred or or for people to think i'm cool mm. um you know and it's like it's still it's like you know i i've, I've got birth city and 
we still got to grind. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, we want to play. It's like, fuck, I'll, I'll book our own shows. I don't, I don't care. Like, right. you know, it's like, like some, some of the, some of the people, I guess maybe don't think we're cool enough. doesn't matter what we did in the past. We're not cool enough to be on their show. So fuck it. Just like I did when I was 14, I'll book on my, I'll book my own shows. Right. You know what I mean? Like I have my own network. I got friends. I know, I know bands. I'll do it myself. Right. Like, and, and that's like, you can't rely on anybody. Uh, if you want to be successful, it's like, if, if, if there's no shows in your town and you want shows, book a show, start mm-hmm. a band. And once you start doing that, the scene will grow. There'll be kids from high school coming and bands will, you know, a band, one out of town band will come there and be like, Oh, I had a great show in so-and-so. And like, Oh, really? Oh, cool. We want to go there. And then people are going to start asking you to play. Right. Uh, you got to put in the work. And that's the same with anything. You know, you want to do a podcast. It probably took, you know, probably when you started, it was hard to get guests and hard to get momentum and people to listen. Now it's like, you know, now it's part of your workflow. You know? <laughs> now it's much easier. Yeah. Same thing with a band. It's like, you know, you got to play, you got to make good songs and, and, if you can't get on shows, book your own show, right? Book your own tours. Like there, there, there's people that will have you, but you can't sit around and wait for your phone to ring, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, so definitely want to hit on war records, but I think one of the things that, um, that, uh, I wanted to dig a little deeper on is y- y- the ultimate why for you. Cause you know, you're like, you're, you're, you're playing in these bands because you love hardcore. You started this record label because you love hardcore. Like, I think this is more of a personal thing for me, but I'm I'm very much the same way where I it wasn't enough for me just to play in a band. I like was craving that extra thing, whether it was and I, and at the time at the time I didn't know what it was, and it was like, well, I know how to use a camera. No one is filming shows in my scene the way that I would like to see them. Hey, five six obviously being a, a big influence for me at the time, and then I just started, and then that has just blossomed into all this thing and everything that I've done and added to the scope universe has been just because I want to do it. Not like this calculated, like I'm going to do this and then that's going to lead me to this thing. So has that like, has, has your, how do you manage like your level of quote unquote ambition or drive to do things in hardcore and having that be misconstrued by people thinking there's like another agenda at play? If does that question make sense? It does make sense. Uh, I think I do things because I love it, but you got to do them because it's fun. Right. Cause you want to do it. Like, like if you're like, Oh, I'm going to start a record label and I'm going to take over the world and I'm going to make so much money. Like it's not going to happen. Like right. you need to be realistic. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of work that goes into running a record label. Um, it's very expensive to make records. It's very expensive to promote a band properly. Uh, it's very time consuming. Um, so you got to do it because you want to do it. You got to do it uh, because you love it. And and um, hopefully it grows, you know, Ho- mm. hopefully it grows and it gets to a place where, you know, you, you know, you can make a profit or you can afford to whatever, you know, support your bands in some way. Um, and I, I think if you're going to 
play for anyone who wants to play in a band or do a record label, like do it for the right reasons, do it because you love it. And, you know, it's not my job. It's not my full-time job, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that allows me to be like, um, you know, for the Berthold City record, the LP, you know, it was our first LP. And I was like, you know what? I haven't done a gatefold album for a record before. That might be cool. Is it more expensive? Hell yeah, it is. It's like an extra dollar twenty a record to make. Plus, it weighs more, takes up more boxes. So you're shipping the records here. It costs more in shipping. Right. But it looks fucking cool. And you know what? I, I, I'm never gonna get a chance to make a first Berthold City record so, again. So in uh, it. it, it it was a weird uh, way of thinking, but like the first Strife LP, again, it was Gatefold. And it was like an idea. We always thought uh, Gatefolds were cool. So like, oh, we want to do a Gatefold. People were pissed. That was another thing. People talk shit because we had a Gatefold record. Like, what? <laughs> but pe- people were mad. Um, but I kind of wanted to carry that uh, kind of that tradition. And it's like, okay, the first city we're gonna have a gatefold and if it's more expensive you know i'll pay it if nobody buys the record whatever i lost and an, you know lost another 1200 bucks what, what are you gonna do um thankfully people bought the record um and the layout looks amazing so it it's cool mm-hmm. I, and i think for the people who buy that's the thing the pool of people who buy records is continually getting smaller and smaller so you got to pull put out a cool product that when people buy that record and, you know, some, some people, Europe, for instance, they're paying $20 for a record. They're paying $23.50 for shipping. They're paying almost $50 for a record. When they open that record, you want them to be like, yo, this was worth it. It Mm -hmm. might've been 50 bucks, but this layout's insane. The vinyl looks insane. Um, Two of my last releases came with like a giant, like a, 24 by 36 poster inside like you know so so i will go out of the way to make uh a product that i think people are going to be stoked on when they open and that that's rewarding you know it's rewarding when when people want to take a picture of a record because they think it looks so cool and post it on the internet like wow this record came in it sounds awesome look how cool it looks like right and, and and they're hyped up and and you know, I, I think that's, so it's okay, in my opinion, to go that extra mile. What, but, but I was just going to ask, does that come from like a place of like, you got a certain record one time and that like prompted you of like, oh, there's an experience with like getting this thing and like nothing is worse than someone literally on the other side of the world who probably paid upwards of almost like three digits potentially for a record and they open it and they feel disappointed. The music might be sick, but just the presentation was off. Was there any specific record that you opened and you were just wowed by? Um, I mean, you know, like all, all of the early records I bought, all the early revelation stuff, like my judge record uh, came with a big poster too you know it's like uh which you know now you see that poster on ebay it's whatever three hundred dollars uh but you know to like open a record like there was a time you would buy a record and you would sit there and obsess over it you 
look at the pictures, you read the back cover, you, you know, pull out the lyric sheet and you would really sit with a record maybe for weeks uh, until you bought the next one. Right. Um, whereas now it's like, oh, people are going to put on Spotify. Oh, I'll skip through a couple of songs. Oh, it's, it's cool. And then they're on to whatever else. So yeah. it, I think music um, over the years, like the way people consume music is it's, it's changed. So yeah, I, I, I do like to add those extra details where, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people that buy records that don't even listen to them, which is fine. They're collectors. So if you're a collector, make it a collectible. Make it an art piece, right? Like um, include, so, include some extra stuff. Like, you know, I did a lot of my early releases were one-sided 12 inches and we would do versions with silkscreen B-sides and different colors. And mm. you know, then during the pandemic, I did a series of like uh, silkscreen lathe cut seven inches, um, really limited stuff. And, and, and it's like, I try to do cool props uh, cool products that kind of reward the collector. Like if you're a fan of my label, like, like, a, have been doing a, a series of, uh, the war records press. There's only a hundred and it's glow in the dark vinyl. We have a Japanese OB strip on them. They're a little more expensive, obviously to make glow in dark vinyl is more expensive. The OB strips expensive. I need a designer in Japan to do it, whatever, <laughs> more expensive to buy, but when I have a new release, that'll sell out, you know, the glow in the dark sells out in, you know, sometimes minutes, you know, right. it'd be like, Oh, it's up, it's gone. And then there's, you know, for the collectors, you know, they, they're going to want to get on my mailing list or whatever. So it's like, Oh, I, I need that glow in the dark. I need that glow, in the, you know, and, and, and that's really fun. And it's, you know, in a way it's, it's like a branding my label in a way like, Oh, of has been doing this cool glow in the dark final. Like, you know, um, and I did that for the terror uh, trapped in the world. I think that was the first one I did it on. I did it for the California takeover. Uh, I did it for enforced and Berthold city. So I have like a little series of that so far. Mm. Uh, and it's just like, you know, it's fun. And I, and I think a lot of that, collector mentality you know obviously record labels have been doing it forever um and then you know kids get into whatever i used to collect garbage pail kids as a as a kid you know what i mean it's, it's just like you know pe people want to have the the rare version and uh, that's fun what, what's the rare version of a garbage pail oh there's a bunch I mean, <laughs> okay yeah yeah there, there's a like you know like so every garbage pail kid would have like two be two names oh, so like two brands okay got you so it would be the same artwork with two different names oh okay so so you'd have two one's more rare but then the super rare ones there'd be three mm. you know same artwork so it'd be like flat pat and smash sammy or whatever it was <laughs> it'd come out with, with these same names right um and so like obviously for like that like the first series was the rarest mm -hmm. um and then they then you could take like the backs of the garbage belt kids and make like a like a puzzle right so you'd have to have those specific ones to make the puzzle um but you know i i think kids were collecting pokemon or whatever it is or baseball cards or comic books right right um 
So, so the same thing or records. Uh, so I think, you know, for me, it was important to make a really, a record that sounds good, looks good and, and uh, you know, try to promote it the best that I can. You right. know? Yeah. And, and I think that's a, a, the two things that I want to break down. Well, like, I guess reiterate is the valuable inside of just like thinking about how you're, cause I think a lot of bands are, you know, uh, getting opportunities where they can do 12 inches or maybe they're not on the label, but they still want to do that. Um, like that's, that's a milestone for me for sure. But like thinking about like, that's an experience versus just like, it's not just like on one side, it's this color. And then the other, um, when you open it up, it's the other color. It's like yeah. thinking about the artwork and how, how you could add like surprise and delight with some of those other things, like tossing into a poster or other things. Um, but going back even a little bit further, like, the whole why is like not to make money, not to, you know, have seen cred. It's like, is it fun? Is it bringing you personal like excitement and joy based off of like getting to do some of like the intricate um, things that you're doing with the label? Like it might cost more money, but like the fact that you're like, oh, this, this is super cool that I'm doing this. And I think that's the same for me, like doing this podcast, filming shows all around the world it takes a lot of time and energy and there's a lot of sacrifices that I've made, but it's been so fun to be able to see certain bands in a certain time frame, And they're like, if they're just on the come up, if, if they're at that like sweet spot where everyone's talking about them, or it's like, you know, sometimes filming bands where it's like their last show potentially. And they don't, and they don't even know it as well. Yeah. So yeah. I think being able to like, whatever you do in this space, whether it's filming bands, doing a label, booking shows, like, if you're not having fun about it, like there's some things behind the scenes that need to get tweaked um, versus like feeling stuck or like you have to do it. Yeah, I agree. And then two other things that I will touch on. So it's like for the, for the label, in a way, it's my way of giving back. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to support some young kids band and, and use all of the knowledge that I've gained over the years in the hardcore and, and, and do my best by them to help make them successful. Right. So that that's my way of giving back. Like, Hey, I've done this. This is what I think you should do. This is what I think is going to benefit you the most. And I'm going to help you guys. Right. Um, now, as far as playing in bands, um, there's two things. One, it's got to be fun. Like we got to do it because it's fun. Like we only do strife now because it's fun. Like right. it gives us, you know, we're, those are my oldest friends gives us a chance to hang out, have fun together, travel together and, and still make music that people care about. It's great. Um, as far as a new band, you know, I, I done will be free in the past few years, Berthold city. It's gotta be fun, but it's gotta be fucking good. Like there's no reason if, if, if you're trying to play in a band, uh, there's no reason to do it. If you're going to half-ass it. Cause nobody's going to care. So I try to make all of my current bands as good or better than my past bands. Mm, okay. Um, I, I, I want people to hear this, hear the new Berthold city record and go, Holy shit. That's a fucking great record. Not like, Oh, this, why is this washed up dude trying to do hardcore? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like if you're going to do it, you got to make it, undeniably good you mm -hmm. got to put a lot of effort 
and a lot of time to to make sure that it's that it's great. Because mm-hmm. um, otherwise, why why should anybody care? Right. Yeah. And, and and not thinking of like, I hit my you know I hit my ceiling with strife, and that's the max that I can do for any other side project thing that I start. It's like I'm actually gonna go even further than that, and uh, and really be able to like. Um, showcase these other like skills or uh, ways that I can do things. Um, yeah, I think that's great to not be like, oh, I, I did my time. I, I put in the work and the grind and all that. And it's like, not not even from just like the the practical standpoint, but from the the passion and the um, the execution of, you know, doing different things, um, which is awesome. You, you mentioned a little bit earlier too, and maybe we can touch on this as like, you know, Strife, huge, huge man. And then you're doing, um, you're playing in World Be Free as well. Yep, um, yep. So World Be Free, Berthold City, like you were saying like, oh yeah, well, like we'll just, we'll just do our own shit like we did back in the day. So like for someone who's, who's in a huge recognizable name of a band and then, you know, being in these other projects that are like, I think naturally there's like a bit of, you know, when someone goes to start a new band, there's like a reference point of like, oh, if they were in this, there's, you know, I'm definitely going to give this more of a of a chance versus if it's just a random name and I don't know any of the members. Um, but how has that been when it comes to like, you know, like can starting to build another thing from ground zero, so to speak? Again, you got to go into it with no expectations. You got to go into it doing it because you love it like and that's the thing it's like strife is fortunate enough that this far at this point in time we still have kids that like our band that still care that still want to hear those songs we're very fucking fortunate Mm -hmm. but why should anyone care about what the guy from strife's new band is like you know what i mean like (laughs) like they they shouldn't you know unless it's fucking good Right. Unless it's good. Unless it's good. Yeah. Unless it's good. So make it as good as you can and go out there and bust your ass and play as many shows as you can and put out the best quality records you can. And, and, and you got to put in the work, like, like, you know, strife is easy. People come to us like, Oh, we want you to play this fest in Canada. Do you want to do it? Okay. That sounds fun. You guys want to do it? (laughs) Then we'll do it. Was it that easy? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you know, like we're playing terror has some record release shows, um, in, in California coming up in April and mm. Scott hit me up. Hey, does strife want to play this, you know, on this date? Hey guys, you guys want to play this terror? Fuck. Yeah. We'll be there. Right. Like, right. you know, and that was like that terror show. I told Scott, I was like, yeah, that's the quickest show my guys have ever confirmed. <laughs> like, Let me check. Let me do this. And right, like, right. Hey, you guys want to do this? It's like, I got the answer that same day. I'm like, yep, we're in. Mm. Let's go. Like Berthold City, I'm like, you know, we got a new record out. People like it, but it's still like we're trying to book shows and it, it's like, it's hard. You know, you got to you gotta put in some work, you got to call in some favors and you got to, you know, go out there and, and bust your ass to to promote it, you know? Yeah, so, I, I think, you know, an example and maybe my uh, my generation is like seeing how Knocked Loose has really blown up as a band and then Isaac to go start inclination and then that 
the the product is so good as well and then that has exploded and then it's it's always funny to see the different projects that he would just like i i'm do like i'm doing guitar in this band and 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 what's cool is that it's always been like i'm just i'm doing a a slightly different thing um because i can scratch this itch with knock loose but i want but i also want to do stuff that's um that can be on a local level it doesn't need to be at the same level of my main bands it could just be like we don't have to play for to 800 kids we can play to yeah. 80 kids um yeah. but yeah when he starts like weapon x and it's just like you know obviously there's a lot of people that are going to check it out because he's got connections and you know people that look up to him as as an artist but it's dope that that band can like have a little bit of a springboard but to your to your point it needs to be good and you still need to you know things won't be handed to you there might be more like chances that are given because it's like friends and all these things, here's the but... difference isaac's in you know the biggest current hardcore band or top five biggest current hardcore bands and he's doing another band concurrently mm-hmm. it's much different than somebody who is in a very big band in the 90s doing something <laughs> In 2022. Gotcha. <laughs> there, 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 there's a big difference. Um, of course, every promoter band, they're going to put Isaac's new band on a, on a show sure. because they want that knock loose favor or they like Isaac or whatever it is. Right. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's, it's a much different thing. Um, and I'm sure much easier for him. At this point, gotcha. Yeah, but again, no, that, that that's a good point. Yeah, to have yeah. it where it's like, it's not like there was a, a a gap of time where you weren't in hardcore and then you've come back and done that. It's just like more of like context wise, it, it's different. So yeah, that yeah. that's a good point for sure. Yeah, but you know, to knock loose his credit, like I saw them years ago. They played a small place, um, White Oak Music Hall here. Um, and you know they busted their ass they got out there and they they toured and and they were touring at a time when a lot of other hardcore bands weren't hit hitting the road like that that you know bigger bands were like oh i'm flying out to the west coast for a weekend or flying out to the east coast for a weekend like no we're doing tour after tour after tour and they built up a fan base and you know they deserve it Mm -hmm. you know yeah um so yeah, let, let's go back. Uh, we, we, we've mentioned uh, the new re- uh, Berthold City record. So um, talk to me about that. Like, uh, first off, sounds great. I'm a big fan of the color um, compliments um, with the teal and the orange. Orange is my favorite color. And like teal okay. has always been like that blue and orange kind of combo. Super nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, Talk to me about how that record came to be. And like, again, what we were saying earlier of like, this might be a new project, but I'm still going to put in 110% into this next thing. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So I started Berthold City, I think, uh, probably like 2016, 2016, 2017. Um, And basically I was writing songs that didn't really fit for Strife. They didn't really fit for... uh, will be free. And I was like, I, I hit up our drummer, Adam. I was like, Hey, let's record these songs and just see what happens. Right. So we recorded the music for the songs, kind of had an idea of different people who could maybe sing. 
uh, it didn't really pan out. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. Let me, let me, um, uh, let me try to sing and <clears throat> see if I can pull it off. I tried to sing in the past. Um, singing's hard. Super hard. <laughs> singing is hard. <laughs> it is super hard. So <clears throat> I would lose my voice really easy. Um, voice wouldn't sound right. So I just went in the studio. My buddy, Aaron Jamili, um, he used to be in Alpha Omega. He had a home studio. So I went there. We recorded the, uh, the demo and the first two seven inches with him. And so I went there. I was like, hey, I want to try to sing. And, you know, I think the key was like, try to, don't try to sound like anybody. Sound like yourself. Mm. So I figured out my, my kind of screaming voice. And then <clears throat> I just went in there and did it. And, you know, kind of, I definitely understood recording a lot more and, you know, punched in line by line or whatever <clears throat> made things a lot, lot easier. Right. And once I tracked the first song, I, I, I had confidence. I, I was like, you know what? This sounds cool. I could do it. And then, you know, we recorded the, um, the, what became the first, the demo in the first seven inch. And then we're like, let's put together a lineup. So put together a lineup. First person I asked was, uh, was my buddy, Dennis. Uh, he was in internal affairs said, you know, got a new band you want to play? And he said, yep. I was like, all right, we need a bass player. We need a second guitar player. He, uh, he hit up John uh, Jenkins, who became our bass player. Mm -hmm. John had a friend named uh, Devin who was in Final Fight. And Devin was our first second guitar player. Um, Devin moved um, before our second seven inch came out. Um, he moved to... Where is he? Kansas City or something? I think he's in Kansas City. Uh, so we got our buddy uh, Ido to come in on guitar. He he was actually a bass player. Uh, he was in a band called The Mistake. He played Amendment Eighteen early on in Terror. He filled in on a tour. Um, someone I've known since the nineties. Uh, got him on guitar. <clears throat> and you know, when Berthold started, we we were pretty fortunate. We were, we got on uh, a lot of great shows from the, the start. Our first show uh, was pr at program with dare and decline. And then, um, you know, pretty, pretty quickly, we were able to get on shows with like sick of it all agnostic front judge youth of today. Um, so we were pretty fortunate um, to be able to do that. Mm. And then, um, yeah, the, the last kind of shows we did before the pandemic, we, we did a tour with Change, Scowl, and Punitive Damage in the Pacific Northwest. And that was like a week before lockdown. Right. So <clears throat> our 7-inch had just come out um, at the end of 2019. Beginning of 2020, we're, we're doing that Pacific Northwest tour. We had a couple... Southern California dates as well uh, with time and pressure that ended up getting canceled. Um, and then um, lockdown happened. And once I realized it wasn't going to be over quick as quick, you know, I was like, Oh, is this going to last a week? It's going to last two weeks. Like, Nope. Um, I was like, you know, let, let's utilize this time. I got to write a fucking, we got to write a record. Right. I can't sit and wait for this to be done and then write a record. So you know, I, I hit up Nick Jett, who produced the record. He plays drums in terror. Um, he's he's 
filled in for Berthold City on drums. He filled in on guitar. It's kind of like our six man. Um, great producer, great songwriter, very talented. Um, so I hit him up. He has a studio, I don't know, five miles away from my house. So I said, hey, I want to write this. I want to write this record. Uh, you feel comfortable getting in a room. And, you know, and at that time, you know, he had COVID actually early on, like be- before, before lockdown, their tour, I think they were on tour uh, when the lockdown happened mm-hmm. and they ended up going home. And I think most of them had got it right, right then. So he's like, I had it. I'm fine. You know, I, I don't think I'm going to get it again. Right. Um, but my other guys, like two of them had young kids at home. Like right. they're like, I'm not putting your kids at risk. Don't come. Uh, you know, same with Adam. So I just got in a room with Nick and I was like, I've got songs, that, you know, like the way I, I write when I'm focused on working a record, I, I'll leave a guitar out. And every day I was like, okay, I'm pick up, pick up my guitar. I'm writing something and I'll just record it. Write, record, write, record, not spend a lot of time on it, uh, dissecting it. But I was like, I just need these ideas. Yeah. Out- so output would- versus like over analyzing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I'll, sometimes I'll write like one part. Sometimes there'll be two parts. Sometimes it'll be a whole song. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes I'll write a part, come back to it and add to it. Then, you know, then I have all these different versions, but kind of have like 20 skeletons. And I was like, Nick, let's start jamming these. So I just went to Nick's house and we did pre-production where we would really iron out the songs and, and the structures and then, um, ha- you know, record pre-production demos. And then when it was time to do the record, it was just like, okay, we, we had all the tempos mapped out. We had the guitars, um, the scratch guitars recorded. Adam could come in track to those scratch guitars. And again, minimize who's in the studio at once so it was like we we just tried to keep it as safe as we could um uh and then you know we tracked the drums dave came in and did his parts and then i played most of the guitars um and then um focused on vocals and it was just like you know everyone knew like hey we got to get this done you know some of us some of the people in the band might not play on the record play their part but it was for the greater good of getting this record written and like, Oh, I'm going to wait till the pandemic's over. And then I could come down and feel safe being in a studio with five, you know, it just just wasn't, wasn't going to work. So we came in, um, Adam tracked his drums in a day. We, we actually tracked 14 songs. There's 12 songs in the record. He tracked all his, um, stuff in a day. Ito tracked his stuff in a, in a day I finished up the guitars the next day and then spent a lot of time working on vocals. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, really most of the days I would do one song a day, I'd go in there, we'd focus on what we're doing. Um, and then some <clears throat> track that. So my voice was totally strong. And then sometimes we would record ideas or skeletons for the next song and then come back in and track it. But, you know, we, we probably did the vocals over, maybe a two month period, you know? Oh, like, wow. Okay. But also I had to write the lyrics. So it's right. like, Oh, I have lyrics. I'm coming in, Nick. He's like, cool. Go in there for an hour. 
go in there for two hours, track this. All right, cool. I'll get back to writing the next one, right. you know, and I'll come back in two days. Was that one of the first times that you were hearing your vocals under the mic? Like with that, like, you know, you're doing 12 songs or, or 14 songs or whatever. So like, was that the first time that you heard your voice being picked apart and just like, oh, like, you know, voice crack here. Let's let's take that again, like to that degree versus maybe you doing gang vocals on something here or there. Well, like, you know, it, it's interesting. So the first time I kind of realized that I could sing for a band is, is Strife recorded Witness a Rebirth uh, in 2012. And I wrote a lot of those lyrics. And what we would do, we recorded with Nick, is I would record scratch vocals uh, so that okay. that way Rick could hear hear the vocals and get the timing down and stuff. Yeah, it, different patterns. Make, and, yeah. yeah. So I was doing that and I was like, actually like, oh, this starts, this actually sounds kind of cool. I didn't expect it to sound cool. And that's where I kind of got the idea. Like, oh, I think I could probably do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, when we did the, uh, when we recorded the seven inches, um, we definitely spent a lot of time on the vocals as well. Um, but for the album, you know, when you, when you record 12 songs, like you really got to be conscious about like repetition. Like, you know, I think subconsciously there are certain vocal patterns you might gravitate to or song structures or whatever. So we're really conscious about like that the, the vocals had to be very different song, song by song. Mm. So Nick is really good, good at that. And he had a lot of um, great ideas. um, And, you know, uh, he's a huge part of why the record came out as good as as good as sure. What was, um, maybe the the one thing that you found mo- most rip, um coming up a lot when it came to either like was it like a lyric that you're writing or like oh i say this thing like four you know, different it, ways or is it like really... more like enunciation that you were trying to spice up a little bit more yeah i think it was more like um more like uh vocal patterns you mm-hmm. just want to make it interesting you want courses that fucking choruses and so like right. you know like I, I would sometimes come up with something that was maybe too busy and nick's like no let's strip this down and and compact it and make it into more of a chorus like lose some of these words or yeah you know ideas like that like i think listening back to the records there's there's now um you know there's a few words in there that i i repeat in a few different songs that probably could have changed that but it's fine i mean i think the record kind of has a theme and I think there are words, you know, I'm not going to use a thesaurus to change a common word. Right. I think, I I think, um, so I think that is fine, but we, we really, with 12 songs, we just wanted to make it, um, an interesting listen from start to finish. And so we didn't want, you know, we didn't want 12 songs that all sounded the same. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to kind of take a listener on a journey um, through, you know, our different influences and, and, and sounds. And, you know, I think it was, I think we were pretty, very successful. I really, really like, um, I, I love the way it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
so being a, a vocalist in one band and being a guitar player in, in some other projects as well, like, what do you think has more, like, what are the differences in um, keeping your stamina with different things? Because I found, I find there's been times playing guitar where I'm like, I am actually so out of breath and I can't move around yeah. and I just need to focus on doing that. And it's more like, I'm just like really trying to keen in there. But as, as the vocalist, you know, it's a totally different Art. gamut because you can almost not take a break. <laughs> like yeah. you have to be like on cloud nine on like fucking guitar hero, like star power the entire time. So yeah. how, like, do you have any hacks or like different things you've learned over the years of like how to it, prep for that? My, my hack prepping for this, which, you know, if other people are not doing this, I suggest doing it. So when I went, when we, before we first started playing shows in Berthold City, I knew I would lose my voice because I used to lose my voice doing backups for at Strife shows, whatever. Totally. You know, I, I would lose my voice easy. So I wanted to prepare for that. We weren't a band that could practice every week or twice a week. It wasn't happening. So I would rent a rehearsal room for one hour, just me, bring the songs, you know, instrumentals or regular songs on an iPod, play them at full volume fucking scream and like run around the room like a fucking live show uh just by just by yourself just by myself hmm. i still do that every now and then like yeah. like like I, I don't need to do it as much my voice is much stronger but early on i was like oh we got a show coming up i'm gonna book three studio sessions like there's a studio by me like that would let me get an hour and i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking sing these songs like right. I, coming out of pandemic we had some shows booked booked the room again i was like yeah i got I, I gotta build build the stamina stamina it's a lot of breathing and plus if you're trying to move around and then you know that helps build your voice it helps build your stamina and then also you kind of figure out where you need to catch a breath or right. a weak point and then i'll be like yo john i need you to do backups right here i, I need to, like, <laughs> Come in before the chorus. I need to catch a breath so the chorus is strong. Or I need you to come into the chorus with me. Like kind of mm. figure out where you need help from another guy in the band with a mic. Yeah, that, that's I love the idea of just like as silly as it sounds, like you just being in a room by yourself, jumping around, like no no showgoers, no one to do a mosh call to. It's just you. But honestly, like that is if anything, that's an actual practical way to practice that versus like, oh, I'm just going to scream in my car on my commute, you know, to and from work like that does some good. But like, I feel yeah. like actually like forcing your body to perform like you would yeah. off of off, like, you know, and you have a little bit of adrenaline on your side when you're at like a show because people are hyped oh, up, sure. but like actually forcing yourself to do the same motion and give it the same level of energy in a room by yourself is uh that's that's huge i don't know yeah. why i've never thought about doing that myself and, and, and it's fun like every now and then like we will i'll facetime the the band group chat and then it, like i'm like hey guys i'm practicing and then like john will pick up his bass and 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 dennis will have his guitar and they'll jam along with me like i'll set up <laughs> the thing and they're at home and they're jamming along to the songs and it's it's kind of cool um but yeah, I, I I would I would do that often. And then, you know, it's funny. Uh, so we just had some strife rehearsals uh, last week. And, you know, like you said, like 
playing guitar in a band, you could get winded if you're not um, in shape, you right. know? So like I was noticing, like we have a lot of like downhill picking um, and uh, you know, I kept reminding myself cause, cause before I would, I would like, you're playing heavy shit. I'm going full in with my, with my right hand, just like as hard as I can. And that tires out your hand. So uh, right. I was like being very conscious, like, lay back on your picking, you know, mm. like go light, go light. And it obviously made the set so much easier. Um, <laughs> not putting all this um, unnecessary, you know, energy into my picking hand. Cause yeah. you don't, you don't need to do that. Yeah. And then your guitar stays in tune better and, you know, sounds better. So that was kind of, for me, I was like, okay, lay back on the right hand, lay back on the right hand. Mm. Um, and that was, that was cool. And, you know, Stripe as a live band too, it's like, we're pretty active band. So, you know, you do got to be in shape and, you know, shows come up. It's like, you know, I'll go to the gym. I run, run on the elliptical treadmill, whatever. It's like, you got to be, uh, <clears throat> you got to be in shape. Yeah. Um, but I do like that other point on the vocal side where you're like recognizing you're like, I could be as in shape as I want to, but I actually need help from some of my other guys or, or bandmates or whatever to, to be able to do that and, you know, calling on it and being intentional. Like, I'm sure, like, the amount of, like, backup vocals that I see the rest of the guys in Terra do to, like, help alleviate things for, for Scott yeah. is... Uh, that that might be the same thing where it's like, yo, I need oh, y'all to like do it, it this. It is the same. It is the same thing. I mean, I'm in a band with Scott. It, it, yeah. it, he, he'll be like... He'll tell his band, like, sing as much as you can. Like, even with Will Be Free, he's like, any parts you want to sing, please do. Like, <laughs> yeah. But these are the spots that I want you to. Like, right, totally. This part in this chorus, like, there's a line, there's too many words. I need you to do this. Yeah. Like, before, we just did uh, Will Be Free shows um, last month. And he, before that, you know, we had a record come out at the end of 2020 with songs that we've never played live. Right. So some of those songs, is like, I need you to do this line and, right you know need you come in on the chorus with me and it, it's fine it's uh, one of it's one of my favorite things to see any live terror videos and you know someone is super amped they're at the show and they grab the mic and scott <laughs> scott out of any vocalist that i know is like no you do the part and he just yeah, will hand it cool. off and, go, yeah. and and what's amazing about that is that the person could be super capable and fucking kill it or they could be like I don't, yeah. I don't know but he's still like but i think what's really cool about that is he creates opportunities for people to either like rise to the occasion and fucking knock it out of the yeah. park or it's not as sick but like it's yeah. not detrimental to the set which is i think super no super i mean awesome. end of the day it's fun and it's something you know these kids will probably remember forever right like totally. oh do you remember the time i came up and Thanks, spit my rage with terror, you know. <laughs> and so, and some people might be like, "Oh yeah, I remember that." Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andrew, a couple other questions before we start to wrap up. Uh, I like to ask this for any guest that has a lot of discography behind them and like some really like you know monumental songs because I like to I like to kind of get it from from their perspective. What to you is the most underrated strife song? And what to you is the most overrated Stripe song? Hmm. Underrated, overrated. And, you know, again, that could be, that wouldn't necessarily be like, 
I, I think this song sucks or anything like that, but it could yeah. be like this song to me never got the love that I thought that it would deserve or this song okay, is a little okay. boring to underrated. play or whatever. I, I got an underrated. I got a great one. So it's very strange, but like our first, you know, we, we recorded a song called What Will Remain uh, on the Only the Strong Comp in 1993. And then 1994 came out on One Truth. And throughout the 90s, that was our song. That was the Strife song. You'd play it. Kids would go nuts. There'd be a dog pile. We play that now. People will stare at us. They have, like, <laughs> it's so strange that what was our biggest song at, at for a long period of time, people just don't know. I don't know if it's too fast. I have no idea. Huh. But that's a song that does not get the love that it used to. Mm. And 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 that, like I said, there was times like for a very long time that would be the song with the dog piles on stage and a huge reaction. And you felt like that song deserved that level. You're like, oh yeah, it makes sense that this is our biggest song. And now it's I like mean, weird that, that it's song not. fucking put strife on the map. Gotcha. If we okay. can record that song, like, you know, like we we had a, we had seven inches on New Age and Indecision, and then we recorded that song uh, for Victory Records comp. Yeah. And if we didn't do that song, we might not have been on Victory Records. You know what I mean? We might not have had the trajectory that we had. Mm. And so after that song came out, like that was kind of the highlight of the comp. Like people love that song, and anywhere we we'd go to play it, like we'd go insane. Not now. Like I, you know, we 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 actually our last rehearsal, we we uh we jammed it just you know, I was like, oh let's see this in, in case anyone wants to hear something different. You know, we're playing two shows. We have some California takeover shows coming up, one in Buffalo and two in Philly. Right. So, you know, the second Philly show, maybe we want to switch up the set or add something different. Like I was like, ah, maybe maybe pull out an old one. Sure. But that that song, yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't get the love it used to, and it, that used to be our closer. Like, bring bring the house down. Nope, mm-hmm. no, no. So I would say at this point, that's a very underrated song. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Now, overrated song, overrated song. You know, like I would say, like our our biggest songs are are like pretty deserving. Like, like you know, what I mean, like. Like, so it's what would be an overrated strife song? That's, that's yeah, because overrated doesn't need to be like it's the most popular, and I don't think it should be. I think, I think knowing a, a song is properly rated as far as like what what you think it had capability wise and how it was actually received. Yeah, so so that's the thing. Like, a song like Blister, like that's one of our biggest songs, but I think that is not overrated, it's properly rated, like you know, what I mean, like. Like, I think that song stands out. It's got a very unique uh, breakdown and memorable breakdown. And and for the time, pretty special. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, we had a video for it and it was on compilations and video compilations, whatever. Like, that makes sense um, to me. I, I don't know. So overrated is... It's tough. It, it's tough. I, I guess I would say that'd be a song that everyone wants you to play, and you're like, oh, I don't want to play this one. Um, I don't think we really have one like that. Okay. I think, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> you're like, oh, maybe 
did I just sign my death wish? And everyone's in the comments like, this is the most overrated yeah, song. This is, a, this is the most <laughs> overrated song. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think we, uh, when we play, when we play now, we, we play a good mix of songs from One Truth in This Defiance and uh, Witness a Rebirth. Um, you know, there, there are some good songs on Anger Means that uh, every now and then we'll play one or two. Um, you know, the recording on that uh, is not great, but that, you know, there are some, some, some cool songs on that. So I, I guess we'll just, I, I, I like you not answering this question fully because then we can fast forward to when you guys are playing the scope five year. And then you could be like, yo, I thought yeah. about it. This yeah. song is a little overrated, but I hope you like it. <laughs> or, or maybe, or, or maybe we'll, uh, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll see. Maybe like one of one of the weird songs will get the uh, standout reaction. Right. We'll, we'll have a little I sidebar afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, Andrew, I got one more question before we wrap up officially, and this is a question I ask every guest at the end of the podcast. Any favorite mosh related story that you would like to end on? And that could be anything that's first your okay, head. I, I got a good one. Okay. I got a good one. I, I I was never like a big, big mosher. Like I always was the kid that was up front, singing along, stage diving, whatever. Um, but as a very young kid, we, we booked a show. I was probably 15, maybe 16. We booked a show, one of the earliest Strife shows. And it was um, Outspoken. Chain of Strength, uh, Drift Again. Uh, we we're still called Stand as One, actually. It wasn't even Strike. And we booked the show at Moore Park in a little community center. And people weren't really doing, uh, like, hardcore dancing wasn't really a thing yet. And I was this goofy little kid. And I had, <laughs> it's so goofy. That's why. <laughs> so I, I, had, uh, I had a pair of overalls and, I think, I think John from Outspoken just gave me that straight edge isn't cool anymore shirt. So I think I was wearing that. Uh, and, under uh, the overalls. Under the overalls. Got you. Okay. And then I was doing some weird fucking, it wasn't moshing, some weird fucking goofy ass dances. Cause that's what, I don't know. That's what you do when you're fucking 15 years old. Sure. And not really thinking much about it. And then, um, probably the last fucking hardcore dances I may have done. And then fla uh, flash forward, we're in, um, we're in Sweden on our first European tour in 1995. And we're ha hanging out with Abenanda and Refused. And I think we just played a show and we're at somebody's house and we're talking about hardcore. And I, I think it's Dennis from Refused, like, asking about shows like, Oh, I, there was this really cool, like outspoken video, but there's this goofy guy in these overalls doing these dances. I was like, I was like, that's Andrew. And I was like, fuck, that was me. So like, I got called out from, from Sweden about these goofy dances. Wow. So, um, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to go on the other side of the world to get my shit critiqued by someone in Sweden. I got roasted. They didn't even know it was me and, and my That's band. So they, just fucking, they just fucking loved it. Um, but I think I was doing like the running man. I don't know what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I have no idea. Man. Uh, hey, it, it, it happens to the best of us. Right. Uh, not everyone could be FUBU, man. <laughs> yeah, shout not out to Chance. Shout out to FUBU, but man. I bet you FUBU, man, 10 years ago, might have been doing some goofy shit. Yeah, Who people knows? in Sweden would be shaking their heads. Um, mm-hmm. Have you listened to... If people in Sweden might be shaking their heads <laughs> at FUBU, man. But I will say, I went to a show the other day in L.A., and there was a dude wearing a FUBU jersey. And I was oh. like, you're trying to be FUBU man. There's like, there's like FUBU the man impost, imp, imposters. I've met, I've met Chance. I've met the FUBU man. He, no one can replace him. Or yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know him. I just seen him. I just seen him. He's got a, you know, if someone wants to dive and mosh for every band at a fest, fuck yeah. You're the hero. <laughs> so, I think we should petition to get Fubu Man to scope exposure, five year anniversary. I'll start a GoFundMe. I, I got the first twenty dollars on it. <laughs> I'm literally gonna message him afterwards and be like, "We need him." Ha- have you listened to his band? I have not. I-, I saw people posting about it. Tell me the name again. Gagging order. Gagging order. Yeah. Doesn't sound like a band name that Fubu Man would be in. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like gagging order to me sounds like I don't know something more on the punk spectrum of things. Yeah, I I expect Fubu Man to be in like a gridiron or an E Town Concrete type band. I mean, yeah, I don't know what gagging order sounds like. Gagging order, I your um your hypothesis is correct. They're very punk um in that in that space, but yeah, I feel like yeah, if you didn't know, I I just. I hate that he has like blown up as like this internet person, but I'm like, he his band is not getting the love from like someone like Corey, uh, who's in who's been in like so many Hate Five Six viral videos, and then his band move getting like a ton of love. So got gotta plug chance, gotta plug gagging order. I did see people in the comments saying gagging order when, when those I, memes I, were posted from <laughs> FYA. I did see his band name in, in, in the uh comments but all it's gonna take is you know maybe they need a new record yes you know what i mean like like that was the thing is move had a record they had a cool record mm-hmm. and that's gonna speak volumes uh you know that that's that's more than just moshing you know i'm a firm know. believer and i've said this multiple times on the podcast i think festival people should book bands that have committed dedicated and sick moshers in them literally the second endgame show that we played we didn't start until our friends uh from vancouver had rolled up because i knew half of them were just insane moshers and we had i i feel like that set would have not gone the way they did if yeah. luca wasn't in the room cartwheeling off stage into wolfgang our singer so there you go it's it's the same thing you know I like the serendipity. If we talk about it on the podcast, maybe Fubu Man will make a, an appearance at Scope Five Year oh, Anniversary. We're setting up a GoFundMe, <laughs> and I'm tipping in. I, I I'll, I'll, I'll match. I'll match your donation Fubu. as well. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, Andrew, this has been a super fun chat. Um, obviously, all your links uh, for War Records, all your bands, will be in the description in the show notes. But if there's anyone that you want to plug. Uh, anyone you want to shout out, anything you want to send the people off with before we wrap up. I want to say scope exposure, six year anniversary. We're going to have Berthold city on the bill. We, Bet. You know, yeah. Bet. 
for the whole city on the bill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just want to say thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. We're we're super excited to uh, get back to Canada. It's been a very long time, uh, and we're we're excited to play sick lineup, um, tsunami scowl, end game change. You know, karma was it ingrown. I didn't even read the fine print. I was like, posted the flyer real quick. And then I was like, getting ready for this, for this interview. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, it's a, it's a sick lineup and uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're excited to be here and um, yeah, check out, um, check out the Berthold city record. If you haven't already uh, check out war records, we got a lot of great bands, um, new releases coming up from enact new record from bent blue Um We've got a new record from Fixation. We've got a record from a young young kids, straight edge kids from San Diego called uh, Abstain. Um, got a lot of stuff in the works. Um, so yeah, definitely definitely check out the uh, check out all the bands, check out the label, and uh, see you in Canada. Yeah, um, Andrew, I'm super humbled by all the time that you're giving me, and the fact that we get to shoot the shit, and and uh, the fact that years are, are coming up to Gan- Canada is like. A dream come true and like something i'm like very much looking forward to um and like andrew said scope five-year anniversary in calgary august 26th and 27th um featuring strife scowl tsunami and a ton of other amazing homies and great bands um as far as the time recording this weekend passes are available but you know depending on when this come up i haven't checked my phone in an hour so i don't know yeah, like the response but Hopefully you can still snag something and make a trip up. If uh, we can pass, got to do it. Just, just do yeah. it. <laughs> can I shout out my favorite Canadian real quick? Absolutely. The legendary Eric Hoyback. Okay, shout out to Eric. Go. <laughs> do you know Eric? I don't. What? Wait. How would I know Eric? How wouldn't you know Eric? Okay. <laughs> Maybe you're too young to know Eric. He's a legend. Where? Where? Can- Is he from Calgary? No, no, he's, I, I believe he's from Toronto. Okay. And a bit older than you. Well, but Eric, if you're listening, anyone, maybe you should come. Sorry if not knowing you, but you should come to the fight. Eric, <laughs> let's petition to get Eric to the uh, scoped exposure five-year anniversary as well. <laughs> Andrew has 10 tabs open with all the people that he wants at the fest. The first two are Fubu Man and Eric. Eric Hoyback. A Ram knows Hoy back. Guaranteed. Okay. Guaranteed. Yeah. So hopefully you might know him. I wouldn't be surprised if Hoyback becomes a guest on the Rams podcast. Okay. Well, hardcore kid turned, I believe, school bus driver turned lawyer. He's okay. Lawyer. Well, n- now this is just becoming work for me where I'm like, okay, now, now I should put yeah. in the inquiry. <laughs> there you go. Hoyback. Um, Amazing. Thank you again, Andrew, for coming on. I definitely want to do this again uh, when we're in season three. And uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Really stoked to see you in August. Thanks for having me, bud.